This is a true story. To find out what happens, what happens? when people stop being polite. Start getting. <laughs> everybody to episode 40 of the rail world this week i'm so glad that you could join me on this monumental tuesday i think you're getting this on a wednesday if i can actually get the editing done shout outs to me for not trying to be lazy um the beat was brought to you by my boy uh sonic glow hit him up if you're looking for beats um i guess i'm still a couple of months into this and i still love it every time that the beat knocks uh let's dive right into some stuff that i wanted to talk about um, this week I wanted to title the episode, get your hand out of my pocket. And the inspiration behind this episode, uh, if I'm honest, was a lot of the things that I've heard in the media regarding the Monique versus Netflix, um, saga. First and foremost, I'm not giving up my Netflix. Uh, I appreciate the journey for which she's going on. Unfortunately, no one's paid the amount of money that they think that they're worth. Some people are, um, but even then, it's usually not what you should get. Instead, people are generally paid based upon the amount of money that they can negotiate. Hear me out when I say that. You're only paid what you have the ability to negotiate, not what you're worth. For an example... You don't get the chance to, in life, I'm, I'm a guy, right? I don't get the pretty girl just because I think that I'm cool or I think that I'm cute or, you know, I drive a nice car. That doesn't equate what I deserve. And I mean, I, I hate to break it down and put it in lamest terms and make it just seem like, you know, I put it into something so trivial, but this kind of gives you an idea of where I'm coming from. I think my biggest problem with the entire saga, it's not that I want to see women paid less money. I know for a fact women are paid less money. I know black women specifically have issues in terms of fair pay, especially when it comes to, you know, Hollywood and how they're marketed. I understand all of that stuff, even if I'm not necessarily in that field. But what I'll say is I had a huge problem with her using her peers as a gauging point for what she's worth. Now, I'm a Chappelle fan. I love Chris Rock. I don't personally think that Amy Schumer's funny. But what I can't do, or what I would say for everybody, is that you can't allow these kind of situations to tell people, hey, you know what? I know that they make X amount of dollars. So because they're making X amount of dollars, I should also get X amount of dollars too. That's my biggest issue. I'm not really supposed to know how much money peers of mine are making or people who happen to be in the industry. Um, because of the public nature of all of the things that we're dealing with, we know so much about how much other people are making that we then start to compare ourselves to them. Now, this is kind of like one of these issues that it's a double-edged sword, right? Obviously, for a long time, and I'm going to say this is the part where Monique is right. Women have forever been paid less than men. 
we weren't able to see how much less they were paid than men because so much of this stuff was, you know, kind of negotiated behind closed doors. There weren't entities that, you know, made it their business to know exactly how much make money you're making at any single point. And because of that, we saw the disparity, but we just never knew how much it was. A recent example of this would be uh, there was a reshoot for a movie. I can't remember what movie it was, but it was a Mark Wahlberg movie. Um, he had it negotiated in his contract that any reshoots that would need to be done would be done. Uh, he would have to be paid $3 million for his time. His co-star in the movie, I uh, believe it was Michelle Williams, Oscar nominated, big time actress, but not a box office draw, didn't get paid the same amount of money. If I'm honest, I want to say she didn't get paid at all for it. Now, we could either blame a few things on this. A, if they both have the same agency, clearly my agent's not doing the best job. B, Mark Wahlberg happens to be the box office draw and that there's an, a certain association with him and being bankable that maybe Michelle Williams doesn't have. Not about him being a man or her being a woman, just the reality of the situation. When I even use myself as an example, I have friends who are in the podcast space. Some of them are clearly more successful in it than I am. People are either more talented or less talented. I'm not taking shots at anybody. Um, and I guess that's how it comes off, even though that's not really what I'm thinking. But just because my friend has a certain success, that doesn't mean that I deserve to have that same success just because I feel like I've put in work. They've probably been in spaces where it allows them to grow in a way that maybe I haven't been. So my job for myself is to put myself in the best space that I can put me in so that then I can grow and get the things that I think should come towards me. This is where I think is the, the crux of the issue. If Monique really feels like she got a lowball offer and she should make significantly more money from an entity, here's what you do. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You decide, you know what? If they're not going to give me the money that I think that I'm deserving of, I'm going to hit the road. I'm going to do you know, a tour. I'm going to sell my tour out. I'm going to get the buzz going for my name. And I'll bet on myself and put the money behind me. Like, I'll bet my money on me. She wouldn't be the first or the last artist that would have decided that, you know what, what I'm doing for me, I will put my money up. Remember a few years ago when a terrible movie came out called Red Tails? It was a passion project by George Lucas. Everybody knows George Lucas of Star Wars fame. He also does Indiana Jones. But one of the things that he really wanted to see happen was the story the Tuskegee Airmen told in a grand fashion with a bunch of money behind it. So he decided to put the money up for himself to finance this project. Now, if you know me, or if you know anybody, Red Tails was an awful movie, probably the worst movie I've ever seen. But I respect the idea behind it that he would bet on himself and he finally got his project put to the, you know, to the big screen. I wanna see Monique do that instead of saying in the media, hey, everybody, I want you to boycott Netflix. When if I'm honest, Netflix has given so many other people who don't necessarily get the same platform that maybe she had an opportunity. Let's talk about that. 
I'm not saying that Netflix is God or that they're the greatest thing since sliced bread or that they're even fair. They're a content provider looking for something that they can get used to get a leg up on their competition. Their whole goal is to get you to subscribe. Whether you're watching one show every month or 30 shows a month, they just want to get that, you know, $11.99, $12.99, whatever their going rate is. And I really wish they'd stop going up on that. That's a hate that I personally have, but I'll deal with it because I enjoy Netflix content. Within the, the space that they're currently working in, which is comedy, they've spent a lot of money for, you know, original content. Who would have guessed? I never thought that I would see, you know, what, four Dave Chappelle specials in a year? I'm patiently awaiting for this Chris Rock one because I couldn't see him live. Like, this is kind of cool for me. They'll continue to get my money as long as they support things that I feel are worthy of my support. Like, I like the kind of TV shows that they tend to, to pick. I don't watch all of them, but their original stuff, is it's been kind of good. So, you know, again, this isn't me trying to tear down Monique. Um, I think Monique is dope. Uh, I haven't heard a good Monique joke in a long time. I'm asking her to please come back out. Uh, kick these jokes off. Have people laughing. You know, do what you got to do. If you want to make this money, it's very possible for you. You have the name. The other point is that we've seen this argument from her before. This isn't the first time that she's gone off and kind of bucked against the system and told everybody, you know, why she's so mad at someone because she feels wrong within the industry. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten is that you should always move quietly. Like, yes, certainly you want to upset the apple cart sometimes, but this might be one of those times when your best bet is honestly play the game the same way that they are. If you're the hottest thing out, you can get the check that you want. You ask them and you tell them what you want. But you got to put in the work. Nobody gets anything on legacy anymore. Maybe some people, unfortunately, she happens to fall in the minority of people who we don't recognize you the way that you feel like you should be recognized. It sucks. And I'm not telling her that she's a bad person for feeling that way. I get it. Pride and ego have a lot to do with why she feels the way she feels. I would take a check for half a million dollars right now. But if you were asking me if, you know, McDonald's wanted to hire me for for $15 an hour right now, would I take it or would I feel insulted? I would feel insulted. So that's the parallel that I'm going to take. We all have a price point that we're not willing to work for. But what are you willing to do to get what you're trying to get? And that's my thoughts on that, you know? Um, in this drama-filled world that we've, we've come to love, uh, I feel like the reality TV bug has kind of infected everything. And I know you're asking, like, oh, what reality TV bug? What are you talking about? Um, I'm a big NBA guy. Like, I love basketball. I hate that there was a, you know, a clamoring for the picking of the all-star team to be made live. And while it sounds like it's kind of cool, um, anybody that's ever played anything or done anything, you know you never want to be the person that's picked last for anything. There's a certain... I don't want to even say embarrassment, but there's a certain way that that just pulls at you and pisses you off. Like if I'm on the basketball court, there are 10 people. If I'm picked ninth, I'm pissed, especially if I know I'm better than somebody on the court. I can I can take it if I think that I'm not as good as people that are playing with me. 
you got to be honest about like your feelings. But if I know I'm better than him and you picked him over me, nah, I got beef now. That's what I feel like them televising the, you know, the all-star fantasy draft, as we'll call it, between LeBron James and Steph Curry would have been. Like, literally, who wanted to be player 24th that's picked? I don't want that shit. Like, yeah, I get $100,000, I guess, just for showing up. But, yo, like, I got pride, too. And where does it stop with that? We've gotten to the point where we want to see the drama in everything. And it's gotten so bad that, like, we're clamoring for, for more drama within everything. The drama in sports takes place on the field. We don't need to know what's going on behind the scenes. There was a certain part of my life where Michael Jordan, the only thing that I knew about him was that he could fly. I knew from the videos that Sports Illustrated put out with him about the parts of his private life that he wanted to share. Because of the way of the world now, I know everything about everyone, and I don't even know if that's okay. Because we don't have privacy, people don't have the chance to, you know, only show sides of them that they want to be seen. So we make these judgments, we snap to think about how people are or who they are as people, and I'm not sure that that's perfectly okay. I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, social media has come to our detriment. Yeah, I think it's cool too. I could check on my friends and see your photos, see how you're doing and kind of check in. But there's a lot of superficial bullshit that comes with it as well. So again, I love the NBA. The, the new format really doesn't bother me. I just don't think it needs to be televised. Play the game. We'll see the drama play out on the court. I don't need to know who got picked where. It doesn't matter. Um, I don't need to have cameras in locker rooms or cameras, you know, behind the scenes and when the trade deadline comes up like where do we stop what's the stopping point this is the life that we're getting into where we're gonna have all access for everything the problem is we like seeing everybody else's dirt but we don't want to expose our own so because of this you got to be honest with it and you got to say at a certain point we have to figure out where we're gonna draw the line i've drawn the line with you know how i feel about these kinds of things and how I try not to support them. Um, just trying to keep awareness going. And last but not least, am I the only person that's watched Jay-Z's transformation from hustler to businessman to mogul to, if I'm honest, being the guy that Tupac Shakur always wanted to be? Who would have seen this coming? And while you're thinking that I'm crazy for making this parallel, think about it like this. Topocalypse Now was basically like the Black Power album of what, 1991, 92, something like that. Pac's earlier stuff all had to do with him showing, you know, situations of people in the ghetto, how he wanted to see things get better. And that if he didn't spread, you know, the word, we would kind of keep this under wraps and it would never get any better. Who talks about stuff? as like kind of the voice of black people more than Jay-Z now about where he wants black people to be better. From listening to Reasonable Doubt, I never would have thought that he would be that guy. Again, I'm a huge Ho fan. You can't tell me by Reasonable Doubt through, you know, uh, volumes one, two, and three, he was still hustling, talking about doing that life. Jay-Z the hustler. I just, you know, I just decided to rap. He never wanted to be a rapper. It was just something he was good at and he used it as a hustle. Rap's my new hustle.
So when you sit back and you think about all of this stuff, it starts to put into perspective just how anybody can change. Again, I love Hove as an artist, but to see the change that he's making, to see the way that he's able to speak on certain social issues is a huge departure from what he used to be. I love the fact that you can have him come online and speak intelligently about, you know, issues or, you know, have him use crazy parallels when talking about the president. Um, None of us are fans of the current president. But it's funny to have like, you know, somebody like him talk about that. Like, I think I just think that the transformation has been cool. He's literally the person that Tupac has always, you know, wanted to be, even though Pac was super he was very emotional, very rah-rah, but the common collective version of him certainly was that. I know my friends who are huge Pac fans are not going to agree with me. Um, It kind of is what it is. Just my opinion. Um, It's one of those weird ones that's kind of out there. But I will say, uh, this gives me faith that almost anybody can kind of do anything. If Jay-Z can come from being a hustler to, you know, speaking black excellence and trying to push forward with other agendas other than making himself rich, while, you know, that's an underlying thing, hey, I'm giving you, you know, I'm snapping. Like, you get two snaps from me like this is in living color. Like, it's cool. Last thing I wanted to touch on today. Um... Because as you know, I record this on a Tuesday. I'm going to admit that I'm not going to turn on the State of the Union address. This may be the first one I've missed and had no interest in seeing repeats in in probably maybe 15 years. Uh, I watched them all through eight years of Bush. I watched them through eight years of Obama. Um, I'm just not interested in hearing what the president has to say. And while people might think so, uh, I'm going to actually say that he's my president. Um, A lot of the rhetoric that we use tends to be as divisive as the person who's sitting in the office. You hear so many people all of the time saying, hey, um, that's not my president. Yeah, we don't get the chance to have that that say, unfortunately. He's the president of the United States. We are citizens of the United States. The problem with our current sitting president of the United States is that I know that his speech or the speech that he's going to give tonight is not directed directly at me. And because of that, I cannot respect it. You'll only want it with hold for the right now. That's a verse from from Beer Summer. But you get my point. The president is speaking specifically to roughly 38 percent of the population. Um, he's not overly concerned with the other 62% of us who disapprove of what he's doing or why he's doing it or the decorum for which he's not showing the office. If I had a child right now, the president has always been held up in high esteem when you're like, hey, I want you to grow up and be the president. Whether I agree with your policies or not, the way that you carry yourself, there's something to be said about that. And all of my life, people have wanted to attain that. 
you wanted to act that way. It was, you know, I don't want to say regal because he's not a king, but it, there's just something about it. The gravity of that office, you always respect it. This is the first time in my lifetime when I can honestly say I don't get that feeling um, from the person that's sitting in that chair. The person who's currently holding the Oval Office doesn't elicit those feelings from me. If this was the early 80s when I was born and my grandmother used to say like, yo, you can be president. How was your day, Mr. President? My baby's going to be president. If she's around right now, I know for a fact that wouldn't be the things that she said. And that's probably the part that breaks my heart more than anything. So I wish, you know, we need to find different ways to come together. Um, our president isn't interested in bringing us together. He's interested in staying within power. Uh, and his 38% base will keep him in power. Don't get it twisted. I know a lot of people are thinking like, oh, you know, there's going to be a backlash election. The Democrats are going to win. We're going to get in. No, nothing's promised. Not a single thing is promised to us. The only thing that we can do is hope and actually make actual changes to see, you know, things change and get better. I just don't want to say, you know, if this was 2019, we're living the same thing. Uh, people are still in power who we feel are really terrible and things aren't getting better. We have to, as a people, as a nation, as a country, to decide that we want more and we elicit more from those people. So if we don't demand more of people, morally, they won't give us more. So because I've used so many J lines on this, this is where I feel like we need to move towards um, to kind of help solve some of these issues. How can I help the poor if I'm one of them? I can't help people who are undocumented workers or dreamers or any of these kind of like abused subclasses of people if we're still in that subclass. We gotta have power. Power is not just money. Power is action. Power is words. Power is mobilization. We gotta do something to see the world going straight again. And yo, uh, thank you for being with me again. This is episode 40 of the Real World, and we out of here. <laughs>